our series still, Refuge. We're in part six, as this is a theme throughout the whole Bible. We spent four weeks in the Old Testament understanding and building this uh, picture so we can really understand you will never be able to love Jesus as your Savior if you don't understand the Old Testament, right? You just won't understand it. You miss so much richness. It's like a gumbo with no seasoning. Oh, I mean, you could eat it, but... You wouldn't want to. Yeah, there we go. we got some smart people here. Let me ask you a question, the same question I've been asking. Do you consider yourself a person of refuge? Do you consider yourself a person of refuge? I've been, this has been really good for me. And this is why it's good for a church to do a series. You get what you preach. That's kind of the rule. You get what you preach. So for six weeks, I've been asking the same question. Do you consider yourself a person of refuge? And all of you did this. Your eyes went up. That's a good thing. If your eyes go down, usually you're trying to make up something. But when your eyes go up, you're thinking about yourself and your life. You're recalling, you're thinking, thinking about how you were yesterday and everything was going on. That's good because you are reflecting, okay, Lord, who am I day to day? Now, you guys, this is Sunday church, and y'all are a wonderful church, but this is Sunday church. We act different sometimes in our house, right? We act different. Not, not that we're two different people. That's not what I'm saying. We just, all the uh, barriers can come down. Uh, we can just relax. So in our relaxed times, in our difficult times, in our stressful times, do we consider ourselves, do you consider yourself a person of refuge, Hopefully, over the last six weeks, as I have, you've been saying, I'm working on it. It's on my radar. That's why we do series like that. That's why we study the Word of God. Now, I'm thinking about my day, and it's going bleep, bleep, right? Am I refuge? So, as I said, we have spent four weeks in the Old Testament, and we looked at Jesus in the Gospels last week, and... This week, we are going to study Hebrews, but I need to just set this up. You may not have been all through the, uh, the Old Testament stuff. Let me show you this picture real quick just to bring everyone up to speed. There were 48 cities that the, the Levites were thrown by the hand of God. Thrones not the good word. The Lord doesn't throw. <laughs> they were sprinkled throughout all of Israel. 48 cities given to the Levites they lived in because God wanted his people, the people, the, the Levites who would be experts in the law, who would be thinking about the blood all the time because they were the ones who sacrificed animals. It's all about Jesus. They would be thrown throughout. They would, I said that again. <laughs> they would be sprinkled throughout all of Israel, but six cities were special. Six cities were cities of refuge, three on one side of the Jordan, three on the other. I've I said in the previous weeks, you could reach every city in a day's travel no matter where you were. The, the avenger of blood, because someone had accidentally killed someone, could not go after you. This was the culture that existed in that time. They could run to a city of refuge if they were innocent, if they had killed someone accidentally, not on purpose. That's where the Old Testament covenant is less than ours. We can come when we're guilty. They couldn't come when they were guilty. They may get to the door, but when they're found guilty, they're pushed out and wrath is coming on them, but not us. We get to the one who's the way, the truth, and the life, and we say, I'm a guilty sinner. Oh, and the blood of Jesus makes us innocent like them. Amen? 
So turn to Hebrews chapter 6. This is the strongest language speaking of Jesus as refuge that's found in the New Testament. This is the strongest picture, the reason I even have the biblical authority to say he's like a city of refuge, not on my own authority. Scripture interprets Scripture. So I can say he's refuge because Hebrews said he was refuge. Amen? Paul did, or most probably Paul. May not be. If you disagree, that's okay. No problem. Hebrews 6, 9 through 18. But beloved, this is a good way to start. You want to start a conversation with someone, just hug them and say, man, I love you, and they're going to listen. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have, show, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that we do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now he's going to give the great example. That's the next verse of Abraham. Who is this faith and patience person? For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself saying, Surely blessing I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath to confirm this from them an end of all dispute. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability or the unchangingness of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who having fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Fled, that clear, who's he writing to? The Hebrews. As soon as they read that, they're like, oh, I know what he's talking about. Oh, all the pictures of Sunday school for those little Jewish kids talking about the cities of refuge, the Old Testament scriptures in Deuteronomy, in Numbers, in Joshua, all of that flooded into their mind when it said, oh yes, us having fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. And that's the beautiful picture. Every time you put the word of God in you, it's not only one time. See, when I eat, that's for that day. The next day, I'm hungry. Sometimes I eat and I'm not hungry. It sustained me. It fueled me for that day. That's not the way the Bible works. You may have read something 20 years ago, and then something happens or you read something else, and it's alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It doesn't fall down or, or decay. It'll come right back to you. Boom! Oh, I never thought of that. Amen? by the Spirit of God. And that's why we're Bible readers. That's why we study our Word. And that's why we listen to the Word of God like today. All right, you've got some notes there. Let's look. Verse 9. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. So 
verse 6, excuse me, chapter 6 starts off, and he says, look, these are some foundational things of Christianity. He's just talking about salvation and baptisms and all that. And he said, some people err, they go away from the grace of God, from foundational things, like Christ alone as Savior of the world. Amen? You need to be baptized. There's, he talks about baptisms. He talks about the resurrection of the dead, because we're going to be, all the dead in Christ will rise. Because there was a lot of different views back then, like in our culture today, right? Amen? So he says, look, I'm laying these foundational things. Don't go away from those things. Then he starts, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Well, he just steps up and says, I'm going to speak life to you. Tell you about um, the writer of Hebrews. He was life-giving, wasn't he? He knew who he was writing. He says, I, I know who you are, and I'm going to speak life and confidence to you. That's such a big deal. He's making, obviously, the Holy Spirit is leading and directing this infallible word, but the writer is also making a conscious decision to decide that he's going to speak life to this congregation or to all the Hebrew people. Number one in your notes. Choose to be a confidence builder for everyone. Choose to be a confidence builder for everyone. This is a daily choice, right? This is a daily choice no matter who we're dealing with, no matter what time of day or night it is, we have to choose to be a confidence builder and that is what the writer of Hebrews is doing. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. I love that. We're confident of better things concerning you. I was thinking about this and I was thinking, okay, I want to do this for my kids. I want to do this for my wife. I want to do this. I have a six-year-old, um, like most six-year-old girls, she's not confident. Children are not confident. They're just learning and stuff. And she struggles in lots of things, but there's one area that she is extremely confident in. She is extremely confident in lemonade stands. I mean, she thinks she can sell lemonade when it's rainy and cold outside. Now, today you could sell lemonade, but on any day, she thinks it's a good day to do a lemonade stand. In fact, she, they, they have asked about every few weeks they want to do a lemonade stand. They want to do a lemonade stand. Now, there is a reason she thinks she's so good at lemonade stands. Because a couple of years ago, they were doing a lemonade stand. And, of course, my wife stuck it on Facebook. And when you stick it on Facebook, everyone knows more stuff than even you. Like, I live there, and I don't even know what's going on. So some people in our church show up. It was Brian. He showed up. And uh, they wanted some lemonade. So he had a handful of pounds of change. And he said, I would like a glass of lemonade. So he takes a glass of lemonade or maybe two and he turns a bag of money upside, not $100 bills, change, okay, <laughs> of change upside down, and it just goes everywhere all over her lemonade table, like 20-something, 30 bucks in change. And I'm going to tell you, that changed her perspective and life. It filled her with confidence in the area of lemonade. She can do it anytime, all the time. It may not be that successful, but what happened in her mind? This is someone who's not a naturally confident person. She's not my oldest independent, like, where is that child? 
But in this area, she's full of confidence because someone chose to speak and pour confidence into her. Amen? This is a life-giving culture. This is who we are as Christians. We decide, we look at the scripture and it says, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Yes, accompany salvation. Does anything bad accompany salvation? No. All of these good, wonderful, godly things accompany salvation. Choose to be a confidence builder in every area. I want to show you, Paul reflecting on a church in 2 Corinthians. Corinth was about 50 miles south of Athens. Rome had sacked it 150 years before Jesus. Rome had rebuilt it as a Roman providence. It was a a very wealthy area, a very uh, promiscuous area, and it was a very multicultural area. A lot of Romans, a lot of Jews, a lot of Greeks. So he spends a, a year and a half planting a church there, and then he leaves, you know, doing his missionary journeys like he always did. Well, he sends Titus after a while to go check on him and encourage him and, you know, disciple him and all that. And this is the account he's writing back to them because Titus came and reported. said, hey, tell me how it went. 2 Corinthians 7.13. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoice exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. I sent the preacher to go and encourage you, but he got back and he's feeling better than you guys. For, in, for if in anything I have boasted to him about you, who oh, I'm glad y'all are godly because I told him you guys were, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you. How many? All. Every one of them chose and made a decision. You think that's in there by accident? Is there any unnecessary details in the Bible? Is anything incorrect? That's pretty profound to say every single person in the church. All how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. Oh, I like this. This is what God's doing in us. Amen? Are we the the New Testament church also? I mean, this is a very new New Testament church, but we are still. And this church chose to build confidence even in Titus. I love it. Look at that. Titus gets back and like, you wouldn't believe this. All right, I want to tell you what happened uh, Wednesday the 13th. So not last Wednesday, but the last. So Wednesday's my study day. I usually lock the door because I don't want to be bothered. My wife even tries, unless a child like blew up the house, she doesn't even call me. Just try to focus. You know, I can be a little ADD, so I need eight hours to, to get it done. So on Wednesday, I forgot to lock the door. And uh, the door opened up, which is not uncommon. People come in selling things. You know, it's just even a, our small church is just the way it is. So a young man came in on Wednesday and as soon as he, he, he came in, I walked up, hey, how you doing? I could tell he was nervous. I was like, oh, he's, he's trying to sell me something. <laughs> he was young. He said, hi, my name is so-and-so. He said, we're, we're from Mississippi. I said, we. He said, my friend is in the car. He was holding wooden crosses. He said, we're a ministry in Mississippi, and uh, it's, a, it's a ministry that's free of charge. 
It is a six-month program for uh, ex-alcoholics and drug addicts. It's just men. It's a rehab center. And what we do is we build these crosses and other little things, and then we go and we say, hey, would you give us any donation uh, for our ministry? We're trying to build a building. Our ministry's packed full, and they're out in the fields way out there in Mississippi, kind of on the Mississippi-Alabama border, real country area. And as soon as he started talking, I knew he was nervous, but I knew he was genuine. And so I made a deal with the Lord when I started this church. I said, okay, Lord, I will never turn anyone away empty-handed unless I feel like I'm, you, they're swindling me. That's why y'all have to pray for me. I don't bat a thousand. I don't know that I don't live under this glory spout and I have to make these decisions all the time. And like right then, I had no idea. I'm in Hebrews and this guy walks in. So I say, stay right here. Let me get the checkbook. So I turn around and I say, okay, Lord, I don't feel like this is a swindler. What do you want me to do? So the Holy Spirit said, just give your best. Just give your best. I said, well, that's our best. It's mine, too, because I'm a biblical tither, but that's like all you people. So I walk back there, and okay, I say, all right, $500. I'm going I'm to write this guy, uh, this guy a check for $500. I never met him in my life. So I say, hey, bring your friend in here. Let's talk. So I brought him in here. We talked and for a little bit, and I had to get to a meeting. I gave him a check. I said, I, I just want you, I'm going to give you your best, my, our best. We love you. I don't know who he is. I did go on the Internet as soon as they left. Because as soon as they left and they didn't leave, they floated out of here. They told me we almost went to Texas because we really wasn't sure which way to go to just cold call churches, walk into the front door. But we just felt like we were going to stop in Louisiana. They floated out of here. He came in stuttering. He was almost trembling trying to tell me about this ministry. He had been there three months. He was halfway through. I said, how hard was it? He said, I almost left on the third week. He said, in fact, I called someone to come and get me, but they talked me into staying. He said, since I gave my life to Jesus, I never want to leave. Let me show you some pictures. That's what they build. I looked it all up. Oh, I'm glad it was legit. I thought, I, man, I'm like, oh, if I miss the Lord, I ain't going to tell this story. <laughs> Let me show you another one. This is them. They build crosses and other things. This is just, I don't, I don't know any of these men. It was just one, the two men I met. They're not in these pictures. Let me show you one more. This is them at their, uh, I don't know if it's a Sunday. It's just a worship service. This is what they do. I tell you, I don't know about you, but I see some men seeking the Lord there. Amen? Amen. Then I went and looked. I didn't realize he handed me a piece of paper. He handed me a piece of paper. You know, this is our ministry. I didn't really pay attention. This may be a little small, the name of their ministry. Put that last picture up. What does that say on the side? <laughs> Come on now. What, what's the name of their ministry? Cities of Refuge. I said, thank you, Lord. You were doing ministry on Wednesday. You didn't know it, but you were. Now I'm going to tell you, it is hard Sometimes, and I thought, as soon as I wrote that check and they left, you know the first word that came to my mind, the first statement? Stephen, you're an idiot. I, I'm serious. I'm not going to lie. I thought, you're a sucker. That was so stupid. You just gave $500 to someone you don't even know. And I know this, that churches are, are prey to, men, to people. I understand that. I, I learned that years ago. So it's really hard. You know, 
for me to just be hard-hearted and close off and say, no, you know, I can't do that. How is that anything to do with Christ? He walked around just loving and giving all the time. And we have to keep ourselves like that too. This is why. Because we have to choose to be a confidence builder in everyone. Say, God, I get up every morning and say, God, what can I do? Who can I build confidence in? I'm here. I'm available. Whatever you give me is at your disposal. We're not going to miss it. We had the money. I didn't give what I didn't have. We had the money. The money was in the bank. But I'm going to tell you, he floated out of here. And this is the other guy. They floated out of here. You did that. We do that. Amen? Amen. Come on. It's a good day. Thank you, Lord. Let's keep looking here. All right, verse 10 of Hebrews. For God is not unjust. I have to say this before I get to my main point. In everything you deal with in life, He is a just and holy God. You have never done anything for Him that He is not recording. You have never loved a difficult person, given when it was hard. You have never sat down and read your Bible when you were exhausted. He, that He is not going to bless you here on this earth and in heaven. We need to get that deep, deep in us. For God is not unjust. He's perfect, righteous, and holy. And there is not a minute spent serving Him that you will ever regret. Amen? Never. All right, now to our point. To forget your work and labor of love, which, labor of love, which you have shown, very important words in the Bible, toward His name. I'm going to look at someone and say His name. His name. Toward and for Him. First and foremost and always. I love the people at the City of Refuge. I'm so glad we got to bless them. I'm so glad that they floated out of here and we got, I got to pour, we, it wasn't my money only, we got to pour confidence in them. But I did not do it firstly for him. I looked through him and I looked at Jesus. In everything in life, you have to do this. Everything in life, you have to do this. Number two on your notes. Direct all refuge efforts to Jesus first. You know what an umbrella policy is? Umbrella, it covers everything, right? Now, you guys have an umbrella policy on your car. You don't drive stressed. You're like, if it wrecks, I get a brand new one. If you got an umbrella policy... On your house, you sleep good at night, right? It covers everything. This statement is a double umbrella policy for us. There's two things it's going to do. Number one, if I missed it, and that guy was a swindler who came in here with that Wednesday, I did it as unto the Lord, and I can't, I'm not going to get bitter and angry if I'd have went on the website and checked it all out and it all would have been fake. Then I would have, it would have been okay because it was, I did it for him and the faults and failures of mankind don't make me bitter and angry. You always know when someone is bitter and hurt 
and angry because they did it first for people and not for him. Everything we do, are you, I'm t- I've been in this trap. I have been snared by bitterness and anger, anger because I did something firstly for someone and they let me down, right? You thought they were going to even say thank you and they didn't even say thank you, right? You went to go tell them about Jesus and they just got mad, amen? But I don't do it for them first. Toward His name, because He's just, I look straight through them and Jesus first. This is the difference between everything we do as Christians and everything the world does for people. They're doing it for them first. Now, this is why this is bad. That's called idolatry. Idolatry. If I am doing something primarily for that person and not for my king and my savior, it's idol worship. And this is the culture we live in 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 America and the world. We are so quick to help people for people's sake. I want to help people. Amen. We all agree with that. If there's a hungry person, we're going to feed them. But I do it for my king first because he gets everything first. Amen. Amen. Let me give you a little illustration. Josh, help me out here. Bring that little cutie up here. Oh, come here. Come here, precious. You're so happy all the time. You're so happy. Now, it is so, look, everyone, as soon as I see it, everybody's just smiling all of a sudden. Y'all don't smile when I'm preaching like that. She didn't even do anything. She's just sitting there. But you get up here and you see this precious little baby and any of you would do anything you need to to help her. That's good. That's right. That's normal. Praise God. But it's very tempting and easy to always do it for the cutest, most helpless thing above him. Amen? So even this precious little baby, I must look beyond, according to Hebrews, and toward His name. Amen? Does that make sense? You're precious, but Jesus is first, but you're close second. All right? Thank you so much. Do you know that it is a multi-billion dollar industry? Um, Everything that is involved in uh, making sure species, whales, dolphins, tigers, all those things have healthy numbers, uh, animal rescue. Watch, watch Saturday morning TV. There's no more cartoons. It's only animal rescue. I'm not saying that's bad. What it is is they are trying so hard, they want to make sure that's maintained because it's pretty or it's aesthetic or it's neat. I mean, everybody loves dolphins, okay? That's communist. Maybe they don't like dolphins. But what people don't see on TV is that over the last decade or two, 12 different plants have become extinct on this planet. That's a, that's a minimum. I'm giving you a conservative number. And most of them, they just kind of look like weeds. No one cares about that because it's not pretty. It's not aesthetic or it doesn't do anything, right? So we, in this culture, we have to understand, okay, just because I see something that I may want to help or something that seems pleasing or aesthetic, that's not our litmus test. It's right here, toward Him. Amen? Toward him. Direct it all at him first. So we're right here in Hebrews 6. They're talking about Abraham. They go talk about Jesus. And then they're going to go back into the king of righteousness, Melchizedek, 
who is Jesus, and then talk about that. I want to read a scripture in Hebrews 7 and 8 to illustrate this farther. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the greater. That means Abraham is lesser, but gave tithe to Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the king of righteousness, without beginning or without end, is greater. That's what that statement's about. Look at verse 8. Here, mortal men receive tithes. You put your tithes in a box or click it online. It's mortal. It's very worldly. But look at what it says, how you're looking so far beyond and through that. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witness that he lives. You're praising God because you're looking through the tithe. You're looking through your giving and you're saying, I'm doing this for my Savior. And I'm witnessing He lives. I'm proclaiming He's God and He's King in every area of my life. Do you see the principle there? How it's all woven together in the Bible? Right. Direct all refuge efforts, everything we do to Jesus first. And you will never be disappointed. Come on. Those who put their trust in the Lord will not be put to shame. That's what David said. Let's keep going here. Verse 12 of Hebrews 6. That you may not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, the Bible often does this. This is almost like a parenthesis again because it's going to give this example of who has faith and is patient and it's going to talk about Abraham. Then connect 12 and 15 together. And so after he had patiently endured, say patiently, he obtained the promise. Now, we need to remember that when God spoke to Abraham at 75 years old, who said, your seed will be like the sand of the sea, and he had no kids. The fulfillment of that was not until he was ripe old age of 100. How long is that patient endurance? 25 years. That is some serious patience and faith, right? So I will assert that to build refuge to do what God has called you to do, to be the person He's called us to be, the number one ingredient right here is patience. Number three on your notes. Patience is the key ingredient to build refuge. If you do a keyword study, when that word comes up multiple times, you know it's pushing you a theme. Patience is the key ingredient to build refuge. Abraham did not have a perfect faith. We know he didn't because we have someone called Ishmael, right? But I'll tell you what he did have. He had a patient faith, didn't he? And the Bible says he didn't stagger in his faith. 25 years? Oh, my goodness. 
25 years of waiting on the word of the Lord, on waiting for this refuge to be built. There is no Israel, there's no cities of refuge without who? Without that son of promise. He was waiting 25 years for that refuge to be built because God said it would. And God did it. That's our picture too. Look, it's a patient thing to serve the Lord 50 years before you get to go to heaven. It's a patient thing to raise children and work with them and then wait for them, the, 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 the fruit that you poured in them to bear. Amen? Patience seems to be the key ingredient to build refuge. It was with Abraham according to this. Dr. Mark Rutland says, The greatest discipline of spiritual life is waiting. The greatest discipline of spiritual life is waiting. The reason I put that on there is because he's 72 and he just celebrated his 50th year in ministry. I cannot listen to someone who would be my age and has not patiently endured for that long, right? They, they, they can't say anything. But Dr. Mark Rutland, who is 72 and is telling me, Stephen, the number one ingredient in a spiritual life, when you have the word of the Lord, when you know what God told you to do, is waiting. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> Listen to the way James says it in James 5. James 5, 7. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See, he said, look, look at this picture in your mind. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Wait until receive the early and the latter rain. I'm going to tell you what I've done in my life before. You hear the word of the Lord. You know he told you to do something, or he put that seed in there, and he poured water on it, and it sprung up. Woohoo! it's going to happen, yeah! I'm going to get married like next year. No, you're going to wait nine years. He didn't tell me that. I probably would have been depressed. So, but God's faithful. Faithful. The early and the latter rains were very specific in Israel. The early rain came November, December, during the, this rainy time, and it would give enough nutrients and water in the ground to get that seed to germinate and to pop up. But there was no harvest until the latter rain. Because when the latter rain came in April and May, that is then and only then the seed could mature and be edible or be used. It's sitting right there in November, but you're not touching it. Don't pull it out because it's good for nothing. Just let it germinate and then just wait. But the season's getting long, but it's getting dry. Just wait. You had to wait for the latter rain, for that to mature. See, this is our life. God speaks to us something, or we have a, we're holding on to the promise of the Lord, and when that promise first comes, like God just blows a scripture up at you, or gives you some direction, and you're like, yes. Then you Abraham time. 
Then you hold on to it and you say, okay, Lord, it's here. I see it. Here, here's a church. We're here. We've been here four years. God's good. But what God's going to do in us is not, I don't see it yet. It's coming. That latter rain has to happen because you don't want to touch that thing. It's not ready until God sends the second rain. Does, does the rain fall according to the will of the Lord? Is that what the Bible says? So that is a picture of our lives also. You may be in here dealing with children that have had the early rain and not the latter. You may be praying for a healing that has had the early rain and not the latter. You may be sitting and you know it's the Lord, but it is not what the Lord told you. It doesn't look like it's full grown. It doesn't look like it's supposed to be. He, James says, see, look at the farmer, how he patiently waits for the early and the latter, and you'll get your spiritual answer. Wait for the Lord to pour on it again because it's coming a second time. It has to. Let everything be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. The rain has to fall again because that's the only way it's going to come to maturity. Amen? All right. Patience is the key ingredient. Let's look at our last point. Verse 18. that by two immutable or unchanging things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Oh, thank you, Lord. We might have a consolation, a belief. Uh, I hope this is going to work. That's not the language of the Bible. That's not the language of the sovereign God of the universe. We talk the language of the living God. Because His Spirit is poured out upon us and our spirit cries, Abba, Father. And there's a witness between us and Him that we're His. That you might have a strong, that's an unmoving, unsettled, unmovable is the picture there in Greek. Unmovable consolation. Have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Number four in your notes. Refuge is the lifestyle God has promised. There is no maybe. There is no we'll see. There is the God of the universe who says, By immutable and unchangeable things, I am not a man that I should lie. If I have promised you refuge in the person and work of Jesus, if I have promised you heaven, if I have promised you whatever the promises of the Lord are, yes and amen, right? They are yours. And you grab them like God just handed them to you because He did. That's the way we think and talk and act. Not because I said it. Come on. He said it, unchangeable. Have a strong consolation. Let's look at the way David said it in Psalm 91.
He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. This is not a place I visit. This is a place I live. What did, how did he start it off? He who dwells. That's a living place. My fortress. My God in Him I will trust. Surely. I love that. Surely. Absolutely. Strong consolation. He will deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover me with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His strength shall be your shield and your buckler. David knew that it was promised, and he lived before the cross. He lived before the cross, and he knew we live after the cross. We have a strong, immovable consolation. Amen? Let's stand up. One last scripture here. We're just finishing our text in Hebrews, just the last two verses. Hebrews 6, 19, and 20. What is this strong consolation? This hope beyond hope. This absolute fixed greatest truth in heaven. I'm getting ready to read it. Tell you a short story. Many as you know, my grandmother went to be with Jesus uh, Friday. We did the, the funeral on Monday. I did the funeral and then went to the burial site. A lot of lost people there, a lot of backslidden people there. I was able to stand up and read from 1 Thessalonians. That's Paul's letter to the first church. He says, I don't want you to hope like other people. I want you to know that the dead in Christ are going to rise and that all us will meet him in the air. And I just went through the gospel. And I'm going to tell you, I know these people I've known in my whole life. They don't normally listen when I talk about church. Their eyes roll over and they go somewhere else. You know, you got family members. You got lost family members too? Yeah, we all do. But this day was different. Because when you're staring at death, it's different. And every one of them were listening. Because it's the word of God and it's powerful on its own. I'm going to tell you that that's the consolation we have all the time. And the young man I've known most of my life came to me after and just poured out his mess of a life because the word of God was proclaimed in truth. Amen. Hebrews 6, 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Now remember, when the anchor's down, you don't see it. You're anchored. Jesus is the anchor and God's the rock unmovable, if you want to use that analogy. It's down. You don't see it. He's the unseen God. Both sure and steadfast in which enters the presence behind the veil in the Holy of Holies, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become the high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. There is no place he could not and did not go. Therefore, we have absolute 
confirmation. Absolute confidence. Amen. Come on. Let's just spend a few minutes with Jesus. This strong consolation. This immovable city of refuge. You don't visit it. You live there. You dwell there. Now what messes us up is when we look outside of the city of refuge and we get so fixated on what's going on outside of it, we forget, wait a minute, I'm not in the valley of shadow of death. I'm walking on the path of righteousness. It's on my left and it's on my right. But I'm on the path of righteousness. Come on, let the Lord remind us. Refocus your life that you are in the city of refuge. His name is Jesus. his wonderful presence in his wonderful refuge close your eyes you won't see the world anymore you won't see the chaos and busyness and stress and frustration you're in the refuge of the living God oh presence of the Lord would you just come and pour your presence on us right now every one of us every one of us who just needs to be refreshed Refresh us right now. Refresh us right now. Change. 
followers right now, Lord, be changed in every person's life. Maybe you need to pray for someone for change right now. Jesus, you are still a God who changes. as you spoke to Abraham and you gave him the son of promise. So we are children of promise. So thank you, God, that you're doing that. We go out full of faith. We go out knowing that you are our refuge in things big and small to the praise and honor of the only wise God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His name is Jesus. And we give you praise and we give you honor. Now praise him. Come on, praise him. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. God bless you. We love you. Have a great Sunday.